Welcome to the Storage State of the Union. My name is Mylon Thompson Bukovec. I'm the Vice President and General Manager for Amazon S3, and I'm here to talk to you about the storage portfolio, what's new, and how we think about it with Wayne Dusso. He's the General Manager of EFS, the Elastic File System, as well as Storage Gateway. And in this hour, we will walk you through the portfolio of storage that we offer for AWS, and we'll try to decompose some key phrases that you might have heard a lot, like data lake, and what does that mean in the storage portfolio, as well as highlight some of the really game-changing launches that you might have heard a little earlier this morning from Andy. But first, I just wanted to say thank you. I have been working on Amazon Web Services for seven years now, and I've been working on S3 for almost five years. And the things that I see and Wayne sees every day that you in the audience are building today, it's really amazing. So I just wanted to say thank you, not just for your time today, but for all the amazing things that you're building on top of AWS. So if you've been to any reInvent session, you know we start from the customer. And my slide of customers might not be as tall and as long as Andy Jassy's keynote, but it is a subset of some of the folks who have built some amazing things on top of AWS. So we have our industry disruptors like Ring, Uber, Airbnb, but we also have enterprise IT organizations who are builders too. And they have used our storage technologies in companies like GE and Toyota and many places in the government that I can't talk too much about. And they are building too. And the reason why they're building on AWS storage is because no other cloud provider has been in business for more than 10 years. S3 was the first AWS service to launch. It launched on Pi Day, old trivia for you, 2006. And we have had an amazing amount of growth since then. We have customers who store exabytes, and we have customers that store terabytes. And the key promise of S3 for security, reliability, and durability, and elasticity of growth, where you don't even think about it, has paved the way for the rest of the storage portfolio to follow those same principles. And that's why these customers that you see on this screen today are building not just applications, but moving all of their storage needs to the different parts of the storage portfolio. One of the things that we heard pretty early on is how important it is to leverage vendor investments. And we heard this from customers who told us, my journey of the cloud is different from a startup that might start in the cloud. My journey from the cloud is going to take years. And it's going to take years because I have capital expenditure. I have already laid down on a bunch of vendors. I have vendors that I've been trained on, I've been certified on, and I need to use my investment at the same time I'm taking this journey into the cloud. And you know, sometimes we get these questions. People ask us. They say, oh, you guys, you do these big announcements. You do all these new services. How do you think about partners? Is the velocity that you have mean that you actually don't need partners? And nothing could be further from the truth. So I'm going to go back into Amazon DNA here. So raise your hand if you might have done a little shopping on Amazon the last couple of days, maybe back to Friday. OK. All right. So on the Amazon website, there's an offer box. And in the offer box, you have Amazon products, but you also have third-party products. Many years ago, Amazon, the retail website, went through the same thought process. They said, we should open up the Amazon retail experience to third-party merchants. So they could put their products out there. And people said, are you sure you want to do that? because they might buy somebody else's stuff, and then they're not going to buy your stuff, and then you're going to make less money. And Amazon, the retail site, said, no, no, it all comes back to the customer. We are customer obsessed. And the most important thing is to give people choice. And if that choice happens to not be us, that is OK, because it's all about the customer experience. 
So that's part of the Amazon DNA, and it's one of the reasons why we work so closely with our partners. And it's also one of the reasons why we have twice as many providers in our storage ecosystem as any other cloud provider. We take it really seriously. Our own AWS marketplace has been growing like crazy. It has 35 different categories of storage-related applications and 2,500 software listings from over 1,000 ISVs. And it's one of the reasons that year over year we get recognized by leading industry analysts like Gartner as being far and away the best cloud storage provider. Now, I put this slide up every year. I don't know if you know. Anyone raise their hand if you were at my storage state of the union last year? Okay, I got a few folks. Repeat offenders, I like that. I put this up every year and it doesn't change. That's what's kind of amazing about it. If you look at the 2016, you look at the 2015, you just go back in time when they started the quadrant. Since the beginning of this quadrant from Gartner, we have always been in the far, far upper right-hand corner. And the reason for that is what we're going to talk about today. So when we think about storage, and by the way, one of the things that I'm going to do in this discussion with you is I'm going to talk a little bit about our mental model. This is a concept we have in Amazon and Amazon Web Services where we believe that if you share the right mental model, people can make the right decisions, okay? And so the mental model that we have behind our AWS storage portfolio is that we start first from the core data building blocks, okay? And our building blocks are block, file, and object storage. So we have EBS for block, we have EFS for file, and then we have two options for you for object storage. We have S3, and then we have Glacier for more archival types of storage. Now, in each of these different areas of the portfolio, we work on being the best possible provider of core block file and object storage. And that means durability, security, all the things we talked about. I'll, I'll give you an example of how we do this at scale. The load balancers for S3, so all the traffic comes in through S3 load balancers, they sit in front of our S3 front end. And the load balancers that sit in front of S3 in one region will manage 37 terabits per second in a single region at peak. 37 terabits. So if you were to do your conversion math from a bit to a byte, what that would mean is that in a five-minute peak in one region on S3, you're pushing through 1.3 petabytes of data. And that's just today. We grow really, really fast. So imagine that. Imagine the number, over a million unique customers pushing that kind of traffic, and imagine the scale engineering that we do on our team every single day to make sure that everybody can grow on S3, regardless of what type or size of storage that you have. We also have other unique capabilities, and what we've done in this talk is that we have a slide at the end where we summarize all the storage drill down sessions, because I don't have time in an hour to go over everything with you. I'm just going to call out a few that are very unique and kind of change the game for our core building blocks. And for EBS, it's elastic volumes. EBS has this concept of an elastic volume that they launched this year. And what it lets you do is it lets you change the type of volume that you have your storage in. It lets you change the performance by adding more IOPS. And it lets you change the size of it, and it lets you do all of that without changing your application. Those are all configuration changes on your volume type that change a lot of different behaviors without actually changing your application. So that type of agility is actually what a lot of our AWS customers find when they come to storage. I have to tell you, when I talk to customers who are just starting down this path of cloud journey, they start with cost. They're like, this is cheap. I can do a lot of this at this price. But it's not about cost is what they find as they go a couple steps down that journey. They find it's agility. 
And that elastic volume that I just talked about is an example of that agility, where you might think to yourself that you need one type of volume when you start your application, but you find you need something else later, and you don't have to restart. You just change it. Another example of a unique capability is that we have object-level tagging on S3. This is different from system metadata. It's editable. And you get up to 10 for, per object. Now, we have a lot of objects in S3. And any customer today can go in and add a tag. That is the case ID for the file that's in storage. It can be a worm tag that says, hey, S3 lifecycle system, why don't you transition everything that has this tag, like worm, into Glacier so I can take advantage of another capability that's unique, which is worm compatibility in Glacier archival storage. So we think very deeply in these building blocks, think very deeply about not just how do we provide this core semantic of file and block and object, but how can we, be be how can we keep on pushing the boundaries and the definitions of what those things are? And then along with those core building blocks, we have other building blocks. And it's data movement and data security and management. So I'm going to talk about this a little bit. Uh, raise your hand if you might have come across the term data lake. All right. It's kind of popular right now. And the way that I think about a data lake is it's actually one of the most profound decisions you make in your application process. Because when you move to a data lake type of architecture, you are actually separating compute and storage. So when you think about that, it's actually kind of profound. That means you are going to scale and build them horizontally and separately. So you can take your storage that you have on premises or wherever it is, and you can put it into S3, which is what our AWS customers use for data lake. And then you can scale and build your compute any way you want. And that separation of storage and application is what I would call a metaphor change. It's actually a design pattern that's very different from a lot of applications that are out there today where the storage is tied to the compute. And when you separate those two things and you have a data lake and you scale it separately from your compute, you get this agility again that lets you do and invent new types of applications while you're managing your storage as an independent entity. It's kind of profound. And data movement plays very strongly into that. So we had feedback from customers a couple years ago, and they told us, I just need more choice. I need more ways to get data into AWS. I can write my own applications, but I just need more help. And so if you've noticed in the last two years, we've really built out the type of services that you can use for data movement. So in the streaming space, there was this big announcement this morning for video streams. I am very excited about that, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about it later today. But then you also have Kinesis data streams. You have Firehose and Kinesis streams. We get a lot of data that customers send in through Kinesis. Firehose will send in. It's built to aggregate lots of small objects into S3. And it's a higher level service that really simplifies streaming data into storage. We have other capabilities for acceleration. EFS File Sync is a new announcement for us. And it gives you an ability to get data into EFS at five times the speed of the current tools. And then we have transfer acceleration. So we build transfer acceleration because we had customers very specifically in certain industries come to us and say, I had these big files all over the world. But I do my analytics processing in one place, in one region. How do I get them from my labs, my genomic sequencing labs all over the world, back into a US region for my actual analytics processing? And how do I do that quickly? And so we build transfer acceleration. And what it lets you do is use our Amazon backbone to send your objects into another region. And it eliminates the latency 
that would be introduced by the geographic distance between the place you're sending your data from and the place it's going to. Now, what's cool about transfer acceleration, I, I like this because it just kind of embodies the spirit of AWS. We won't charge you unless we think we can actually accelerate your transfer. We won't do it. And so if we do an analysis before you send it, and we use heuristics, and we use probability, and we just check to see. And if the probability is pretty good that we're going to save you some time, we'll charge you the fee that we charge for the service. But if we don't, we won't. And so it's that type of thinking of you know, how do we open up these pipes to get data in that's really been building the data lake. Direct Connect has been uh, a capability that a lot of customers use, too, for on-premises. And then on our hybrid mode, storage gateway and the combination of storage gateway and our storage partners have really opened this up. So storage gateway keeps on iterating. Last year, storage gateway launched the file gateway. And the file gateway is basically an NFS mount to your S3 bucket. Simplest way to put it. When you use the, the storage gateway, the file gateway of this, in the storage gateway, you are basically using a virtual appliance and you're transforming a file into an S3 object. And unlike some other solutions, once it's in your S3 bucket, you can access it any way you want. It's actually the perfect gateway to a data lake because it leaves that object in storage to be used independently by any application you build on top of it. It's really compelling. And then finally, I, you know, sometimes I, I actually bring my, my snowball devices on the stage. Uh, today I don't have one, but they're all over the show, so if you, 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 if you need to take your selfies, you can. I will tell you that one of the things that the snowball team loves is that we actually have a large volume of people who take selfies with snowballs and they send them to the team. And it's, there's, you know, there's something about the snowball that really captures people's imaginations, but it's also incredibly practical. We have government customers. We have healthcare providers who put snowballs in the basement of their hospitals. We have research facilities that take snowballs out on a boat to collect data. And this idea of a ruggedized storage container that you can either have resident collecting data, doing a little bit of compute on it, or just to use for data transport is really, really exciting. And a lot of customers are doing it. The other thing we have is, of course, the truck. No way was I thinking about bringing that in here. 45 meters long, exabyte size data, and it basically is somewhere in the US right now, going from one customer to us. Uh, we have a few of these trucks in circulation. And I don't know where they are, but they are bringing data into their data lakes. I think one of the reasons we get so many customers starting on S3 and our other AWS storage solutions is the security profile. And Andy said this in the keynote. You have no business if your business is not secure. And that is so true for data. And so what we do is we start from the building blocks of KMS and IAM, but we also have different services that we provide to make it even easier to remain secure. I will tell you, when I talk to customers, I am, you know, I'll, I'll tell them to go audit something like bucket permissions. But I will also tell them that they need to have a system for drift because your teams are going to grow. You might use a contractor. There are other people who are going to be playing around with your buckets, and you need to make sure that your security stays secure. So an example of these different building blocks being used together is something that's quite relevant today. It's bucket permissions. So a couple of year, uh, weeks ago, uh, S3 announced a change. We added a change in the S3 console where if you list your buckets, you can actually see what the permissions are. And we'll list the ones that are open first, just so you know. You can also use CloudTrail to do data event tracking. And in CloudTrail, that means every single change that happens to an S3 object 
in your control will be logged, and that includes ACL changes. So let's say you go to the S3 console, and you look down your list, and you see it's good, it's good. You can't stop there. You have to use our other services, and our other services include things like CloudTrail, where you can set an alarm. So if anybody in the future changes an ACL setting, you will get an alarm, and you will find out when your bucket permissions have changed. We have Trusted Advisor. We have a Trusted Advisor check now that will check for your bucket permissions. I could go on and on, but if you think about each one of these capabilities that I have listed here, CloudWatch metrics, Lambda functions, you've got cloud trails, you know, quick site integration, we launched a new capability for machine learning on top of your S3 data, Macy. These are all your building blocks that you can pick from to use with whatever storage you have. And S3 has integration with all of these as the core data lake, but Glacier, EBS, you can see most of our storage services have integration with many of these capabilities. And that actually is why so many customers come to the AWS storage portfolio. It's not just that we are the best core building block. It's that you can do so much around it to accomplish what you're trying to do. So let's talk about what's new. I'll talk more about Kinesis video streams later, but I will say that if we look across the data that's in S3, some of the fastest growing data in S3 is video. People need a place to put that stuff. And now they have a lot of new AWS services to do things with it. But it all kind of starts with where do you put it? EFS file sync is another capability that is new for this month. And this is the ability to be able to sync your data in and between EFS and on-premises. We have new Direct Connect cities that we've launched and a new Snowball region. As you know, your storage is everywhere, and we are following the path of the AWS regions, and there's a lot of those. We really focused on data security and management. So I talked a little bit about how we have the CloudTrail auditing for all buckets. Uh, we now have simplified how to set that up on your account. So we actually launched the data tracking for CloudTrail last year. But customers came back, they told us, we love it, it's a little hard to set up. And so now we made it easy to set as a default. You turn on object-level logging through CloudTrail on every single bucket in your account. The minute we launched this, really, within an hour, we had a surge of adoption, because this is what I would call a best practice. The worst thing in the world is when somebody comes to you and says, who deleted that? Who's been accessing my data? Who's been, you know, who changed the bucket permission? And you say, well, let me go turn on my logging, and then I can tell you. You turn it on now, you keep it on by default, you never have to have that conversation. We also launched default S3 bucket encryption. And you're going to see more of this coming from S3, where now what you can do at a bucket level is you can say, any data going into this bucket is encrypted. You don't have to change your application. Your application can send unencrypted data. That's fine. If you set the encryption setting at the bucket level, it just gets encrypted for you. And then we included encryption status in our inventory reports. So our inventory report is basically a once-a-day report that we put into your bucket. And it lists all the objects and all the metadata for all the objects in your bucket. And so we did two things in the last month. We added encryption status, and we made it queryable through Athena and other ORC-compatible formats. So let's go back to that conversation that you might have with your security officer who says, tell me what's happening with my storage. And you can say, well, I have my CloudTrail data log, but I also have my, uh, I can use a query tool like Athena to find what parts of my storage are encrypted or not encrypted, because that is data that I now have in my report, and then it's also easily queryable. And then because we do it once a day, you can look back across a set of months, you can look back at a cross period of time, and you can start charting progress 
that you have for encryption for your storage. Again, when we build these type of things, we don't build them for just one service. We take a step back, we think about the conversations that we have with you, and we say, what are the different building blocks that we can put together where you can do all of this really, really easily? We introduced gateway event notifications. And so in the gateway, what you can do is you can, as I said, for example, with the file gateway, you can mount NFS. And you can get storage into the S3 bucket. But now what you can do with the gateway notification is that you can get an alert that says, hey, my storage is here now. And that can go trigger your application to start analytics or do something with it. So the gateway notifications are a really important part of your event-driven programming model. And EBS announced the ability to do uh, customer-provided keys. So you can bring customer-provided keys to the encryption story for EBS. S3 has this capability as well. So KMS, key management service, you can keep your keys with AWS. You can use our server-side encryption where we manage the key. And now across EBS and S3, you can provide and manage your own key when doing the encryption. And query in place, I'm very excited about this. I'm going to talk a little bit more about it and give you some examples of different types of queries. I think this is a game changer. I think this capability of query in place, we're launching it now. In one year, I'm going to be on the stage, and we're going to talk to you about all the different things that people are doing with it. It's very exciting. Other new announcements for what's new in storage data movement, the Kinesis video streams is really exciting. So in the last years, we talked about IoT and all that data coming off of sensors. Well, it's all those embedded cameras, too. They're everywhere. I don't mean to say that in a creepy way, actually. But you do have a lot of surveillance cameras everywhere. And they, have a, they need to upload the video into securely into a storage repository that you can then take action and work upon. And Kinesis Video Streams has added this to the Kinesis family, where you can stream video from millions of devices. And it's secure, it's storable, and it's going into S3. Talked a little bit about EFS file sync. It, you know, if you're trying to move between file systems, we have a lot of customers who are in our migration process to go from what, you know, their on-premises file system into EFS. You can now use file sync to move it securely and quickly five times faster than the other options. And then, of course, we're in different places. So we now have Direct Connect in these cities. So if you're in any of these cities, we have a Direct Connect option for you. And then we launched the Snowball capabilities in um, the Ohio region. So let's talk a little bit about Kinesis video streams. So IoT devices send signals, right? So you get a lot of little tiny sensor data. But it's the embedded cameras that are capturing a ton of video and audio. And an embedded camera can be your phone. An embedded camera can be a, um, a body cam. It can be, you know, they, they actually are just showing up in a lot of different places. And so the idea here is that with video that's coming off of this de these devices, there's no better place to put it than the cloud, because it's so much data. You need the elasticity, you need the cost, and you need the capabilities of the cloud in order to actually process that video. And so what you have with Kinesis Video Streams is you have an ability to use a common um, programming model that lets you eliminate the device-specific type of coding that you have to do across all of those. And it lets you take sources of data that include smartphones and IP cameras and body-worn cameras, dash cams, thermal cameras, the list goes on, and automate bringing that into your data lake so then you can use some of those really interesting new services for machine learning on, or you can do other type of analytics that's specific to your business. So this one is going to be a huge game changer for video-driven content coming into AWS storage. We have a customer in Asia, Ubeja. It's a leading Japanese AI and solution provider. And this image that you see on the screen is actually taken from their camera. And what they've done is where you see hot, the red color, that is where the items in the stores that are using this particular service 
are um, running low on inventory. And you can see that they've color-coded different signals that show which products are being um, actively, uh, um, uh, they're running low on inventory and which ones are not. And they use that data to real-time increase the number of cashiers or stock inventory. They make real-time business decisions on this. And they are branching out into a whole bunch of different areas uh, in Asia. But for them, the really big change that Kinesis Video Stream did for them is it moved them out of batch analytics on video and into real time. And that was a big deal for them. And it really has enabled a lot of what you see here, where they can take a real time view of a video and use it to drive business actions for their own customers. Very exciting. So I talked a little bit about this, so I won't go into it too much. I wanted to make sure you had a full list of this. Uh, so the new security and storage management, default encryption. One thing I did not cover in the last slide that I want to touch on is cross-region replication. So in S3, we have a capability called cross-region replication. You can use it with any of your storage classes. And what it lets you do is it lets you replicate all of your storage in your bucket to another region. Now, we built it originally for the financial services industry because they had a compliance regulation that a copy of their storage would be n number of miles away. And so we built cross-region replication, and then we saw a lot of people start to use it for disaster recovery type of scenarios and many other different reasons. And so when we talked to enterprises, they told us it's not enough to just have the replication. They wanted more controls, more security controls on it. So we built two things. One is we, allow, we built the capability so you can use KMS for cross-region replication. So if you want to manage your keys and uh, key management service, we can make sure that's managed, uh, that you can use those managed keys with your cross-region replication. And we protected against ownership rewrite. That's really important. It's basically what happens, like imagine you have a scenario where you have a insider threat, where somebody in a company wants to go and wipe out both your source and your destination. Now you're protected against that with your partnership over, uh, your ownership overwrite for CRR. And then, of course, you can launch uh, your EBS um, instances encrypted with your custom key. We talked already about the auditing and the, and the metrics, so let's go to query in place. We launched today S3 in Glacier Select. And when I talk to people about this, I tell them, I think this is one of the biggest shifts that you're going to see in object storage. Now, I will tell you that the folks who work in object storage, we have some folks who come from storage backgrounds. We have a lot of just straight up distributed systems developers, okay? And when we build object storage and our other storage types, we don't actually feel that we're bounded by the current definitions of what object storage is or what it should be. We just change it. And we change it based on what we hear customers are doing. So here's what we heard. We had so many customers moving to this data lake model because of that separation of storage and compute and the ability to scale them separately. But they said to us, you know, I have to spend a lot of money on compute clusters to just pull all the data out and find the 10% of data that I actually need for my analytics. And so I need something that makes that process both faster and less costly for me. And so we took a look at it and we said, you know, when we think about an object, it's not a blob to us. We're going to go figure out a way where we can actually look in the content of the object using SQL expressions. So you can pull out just the bytes you need from the petabytes of data you have. That's pretty big. That means you can put all that data into S3 and Glacier. And now you can use a native API on your storage later, layer. And I will tell you, we built it such that the API for S3 and Glacier are the same API. The behavior is a little bit different because Glacier is asynchronous for its retrieval model. But the, the syntax is the same. 
And now you can use it to get just the bytes you need without pulling out the whole object. That is pretty big. And so the type of queries that we have seen our customers use in beta and in conversations is an extraction query. So imagine that you use S3 to store, for example, all of your medical uh, device QA data, okay? And you back it up into S3 and you just leave it there. But then you have a question, which is you want to try to find one piece of data across a period of time, and you want to be pulling it out of three years' worth of data. So before, you would have to pull out three years of data to do your query. Now you can write a SQL expression to just go find, I, I think of it as seek, to seek the data that you want in the content of your objects, and you pull just that data back, and then you do your computation on it. The analytics data set, this is kind of the no-brainer. We built a Presto connector for you as part of the S3 select capability. So if you have Presto, you can just slot your connector in, and it just works. And the idea there is if you want to scan all the log files and look at your GET requests, and you just want to look to see what requests are coming from a specific IP range, pretty common scenario, right? Probably done that before. Now you can do it with an S3 select query. The needle in the haystack type of query is also super painful to do if you're just pulling out all of your objects. But you can do this kind of surgical precision type of querying into the S3 object and get just the data you need. Now, if you want to do complex joins, if you want to do more complex data analysis, you're going to use Athena, you're going to use Redshift. They will all use S3 Select as well, along with Horton and DataWorks and Cloudera and hopefully many other data analytics providers, because it just makes sense to not move so much data around. But I think this really opens up a lot of different scenarios. And I think next year you're going to hear, hopefully on the stage, customers doing some pretty big things with this new capability. Well, I am going to introduce you to Wayne. Wayne's going to come up here. And what we wanted to do, Wayne and I were talking about this when we were preparing for reInvent. And we said, look, we got a lot of things going on in the storage platform. We want our customers to tell you how they're using it. But we couldn't actually get 20 people up on the stage in the hour. So what Wayne's going to do is he's going to walk you through examples of particular type of use cases with concrete customer uh, uh, learnings from it. And then at the end of it, we're going to kind of sum up and let you know where to go for more details after that. Thank you. A little bit of a stretch. It's the 30 minute, 30, 40 minute stretch. There you go. So um, Milan went through uh, a whole series of innovations that we've delivered uh, over the course of the last year, built upon 10 years of innovations that we've delivered uh, across the portfolio. And, and many of you uh, are using those today. And what I wanted to do uh, in, in this part, and we'll go through uh, somewhat rapid fire here because one, all of the use cases I'm going to talk about here today, there are full-blown sessions being given or have been uh, given and are recorded and you can get them uh, off, of, off of the web. So I, I want to go through a series of, of use cases from the most basic, uh, if you would, uh, IT problems that you've solved uh, perhaps on-prem or, or in cloud. Uh, to some of the more um, unique use cases that may not have been possible uh, without AWS, without the storage portfolio, and uh, without the features that uh, we've talked about here today or those that have come before this. So let's start off with some of the stuff that's a little bit easier um, but super important. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a, a university, Southern Oregon University, and uh, their fundamental problem was is they were dealing with tapes. And a lot of you either have tapes or have had tapes. And they were spending uh, hours a week uh, managing just physical tapes. They were managing their robots. They were managing you know, refresh of their hardware and just physically managing and handling tapes. Uh, and, and this was just sucking uh, valuable time, especially at a university. They don't have a lot of cash. And so spending any money on this type of activity is just taking uh, cycles and money away from other valuable things they could be doing. So they came to us, and we talked to them about 
the AWS Storage Gateway Virtual Tape Library. And um, it was appealing to them, and within three hours of actually engaging uh, us and, and, and hearing about this, they dropped one into their environment. And it was up and running. And within uh, two backup cycles, which is two months for them, uh, they completely remo uh, removed their physical tape infrastructure. Uh, and now they have an unlimited archive uh, that now lives in uh, S3 and Glacier uh, that they can uh, get access to. And uh, they're not missing any of their backup windows. They were missing backup windows before because things were broken. Now they're not missing any of their backup windows. They've eliminated 500 uh, person hours uh, in terms of backing up. They now, when they need a tape, they provision a virtual tape with basically a couple clicks on the console. And the bonus round here is that uh, with this solution, they created their first true DR plan. Uh, so their DR plan before this was um, they maintained two copies of the tape somewhere on campus, on one end of the campus and the other. They happen to live in an earthquake zone. So if anything really did happen and they needed to kick in their DR solution, that may not have worked for them. By implementing the solution, they actually now have a DR solution from Oregon to Virginia. And uh, they're, they're super happy with this. And again, uh, for any of these talks, there's a, there's a number at the corner of the screen. Uh, you can go to the talks uh, this week or look at them uh, online. And you can get all the details uh, behind, behind these. Here is, uh, these are, this is a world leader uh, in, in mapping technologies. And, and in fact, four out of five cars on the US roads today, if they have nav systems, are using here technology uh, for, their, for their GPS systems. And they had a few problems. Uh, the first problem is, is they were on-prem initially. Uh, and they needed to be able to scale uh, their solution and so they needed to find a different uh, approach. So they, they chose AWS. And when they got to AWS, they sort of took all their software and they brought it onto AWS and just started using it. And one of the things they did is they decided to build a do-it-yourself NFS solution. And uh, this really wasn't working out for them because they were spending a lot of time managing the NFS solution, managing its scale, managing its reliability, its performance. Uh, in fact, one out of 10 of uh, their uploads uh, into their JFrog uh, repository was failing. And this was just a non-starter for them. It really wasn't helping them. So there's a lot of undifferentiated lifting in managing this. So um, they needed to uh, become more agile. So in moving to AWS, uh, they immediately could move on to uh, EFS and eliminate all this undifferentiated heavy lifting in terms of running their do-it-yourself uh, NFS server. And they immediately eliminated all their scale problems, their performance problems, and their management and reliability problems. It just it immediately went away. Uh, and in conjunction with uh, implementing uh, the solution on EFS, they took the cycles that they were no longer spending on that, on that heavy lifting, and they created a data lake uh, for, um, for their data by backing up and archiving all of their data that was uh, older than a certain period to S3 and Glacier. So they were able to use all the services to create an even better solution. Um, they're processing on this solution about 28 terabytes uh, a day and over 800,000 file transfers a day without any failures. So they went from about 10% failures to 0% failures. Um, they saw about a 38% improvement in performance by doing this. And now any new repository they need to bring up and run, they're doing so in a week, which it used to take them three months. So this really helped them uh, move their business a lot faster, a lot further. Uh, Sirius XM, a lot of you probably have Sirius in your car and know what they do. So it's 400 radio stations and they have about 32 million subscribers. And they had a really interesting challenge. This is really a time to market problem. So they needed to move quickly. They needed to be very agile because they had uh, a partner device uh, that they needed to get up and running in 90 days. And the partner came to them and they handed them uh, basically the application that was required to integrate with them. And they handed it to them on a laptop. And they said, here it is. Go make it work for all of these subscribers. So there's no way that that would have worked on a laptop. They needed to scale this up. So um, they needed to figure out in 90 days how they were going to get this up and running. 
And uh, when they considered moving this laptop onto uh, AWS, uh, they said, well, one thing we could do is a do-it-yourself, again, do-it-yourself NFS server. And they said, that's going to take the majority of the time of the 90 days that I have. So they engaged EFS uh, and realized uh, by doing so that they could be up and running in two hours and not spend some portion of that 90 days uh, building uh, a do-it-your-own server. And then combining the scalability of EFS and the scalability of EC2 through auto-scaling groups, they were able to take this very simple application and quickly get it to scale to the level they needed to hit their 90 days. So uh, one of the interesting quotes that these folks gave us was uh, SiriusXM was looking for uh, good and fast. It had to be good enough and it had to be fast. Uh, but what they got was good, fast, and cheap. And they also got reliability and availability by doing this. So this is a really big win for them. Uh, stem cell is uh, Canada's largest uh, biotech company. And they have 10 worldwide offices uh, that they need to think about and, and manage. And the challenge that these guys had was a couple. Uh, one, uh, they needed uh, to ensure that there was data sovereignty. So each of these offices uh, held the data that uh, they, were, they were using in their research. They needed to make sure it stayed within region. And two, they needed to make sure it was backed up. So they had this really interesting problem where they had a ton of data being uh, uh, created in each of these offices, each of these locations, and they needed to be able to, in a distributed fashion, back that up. So um, they needed to eliminate all of the work around uh, this whole backup scheme because at the end of the day, their business is science. It's not IT. So they brought in AWS Storage Gateway, uh, the cache volume version of the gateway, and this did a couple of things. One, they didn't need to go out and buy more storage for each of their offices every single time it grew. They put the cache gateway in, in the office, and they started using that as their primary cache for, uh, for data that needed to be accessed quickly. And then the cache gateway is, uh, moves all of the data up into S3 for, for any type of operation they want to perform in cloud. So what did they end up doing? Well, they ended up solving a data sovereignty problem because Gateway is in every one of our public regions. So they're able to uh, upload all of that data and store that data in S3 in region. And then they were able to perform all of their backups as opposed to in office, they could perform all those backups on cloud. And they were able to take um, their backups uh, from um, uh, essentially uh, an RPO, uh, an RTO, excuse me, the recovery of RTO from roughly 50 hours that took them to recover data back to their local offices if they had a problem, they were able to bring that down to 10 minutes. And the reason they could do that is their data no longer uh, was sort of siloed uh, in their offices, but instead it was in AWS, and if they ever needed to uh, recover, they could just spin up a gateway and start using the data straight out of region. So this is a very powerful use case as well. Um, so we have a, a, another uh, a hybrid uh, storage story. This one I love. This is a snowball story. And um, this particular customer, it, they, uh, they uh, fly um, unmanned vehicles, unmanned aerial vehicles. And they fly these in very remote locations uh, with no connectivity. So whether it's oil fields or mines uh, or power lines and that sort of thing, um, they, when they fly these, they collect a tremendous amount of data, about 30 terabytes of data per flight. And what they need to do is then get this data from the field into uh, AWS, into or off of the, off, out of the field into the cloud. And so there's a couple things. One, when these aerial vehicles are flying, collecting all this data, they need to figure out how do we get this data into a hardened IT um, uh, device uh, or IT environment in the field. And two, what if the run wasn't that good? What if they need to run it again? So with Snowball Edge, what they were able to do is uh, when the uh, vehicle lands, they upload all the data into uh, Snowball Edge. They do some pre-validation on the data um, so they could tell whether it was a good run or not. And if it was a good run, um, they basically can have the UPS man come up, uh, pick up the Snowball. They bring it to uh, our fulfillment centers in order to upload it into S3. And then with that data, they can perform all of the deep analytics and deep work they want to do uh, based on uh, the particular customer and what they're trying to accomplish. So they're no longer into, uh, you know, sort of the, the remote uh, hardened IT business. They could focus their energies on their true business, which is um, collecting the data and shipping it back up uh, for their customers to use in valuable ways. So we've all heard of NASA. 
uh, NASA has a really interesting set of challenges uh, in terms of uh, data at scale and being able to hold data for very long periods of time and in holding that data, be able to do something active with that data. So they have really what we refer to as an active archiving challenge. And the problem they needed to solve is that these massive, massive scientific data sets. Um, and they're on a path right now uh, to ingesting about 200 terabytes a day by uh, 2021. And within four years, that's going to explode by 10x to about uh, 200 petabytes uh, per day by 2025. And all this data needs to be shared, not just by one agency, but by 12 agencies. And this is a solution if they tried to build in a centralized on-prem way, they simply could not scale and build it with the amount of time they had and the amount of money they had. So they decided to build a data lake uh, up on S3 uh, to in, in order to um, achieve this level of massive scale. So between S3 and Glacier, they created this data lake, and they created a set of applications then that could access this data lake for these 12 agencies. And with the solution they produced, um, they could run over 500,000 uh, queries on this data uh, a second, I mean a day, and they could complete these queries, 95% uh, of them, in less than a second. So based on the scale, they were able to achieve not only uh, the speed that they needed, but they were able to um, enable all these 12 agencies to run that level of query with that level of performance. Reuters is a very interesting use case as well because here's a company that uh, has been around for a long time. Uh, they have um, uh, millions of users, 50 million users, and they serve up about 200,000 page views uh, a month. And they had built their uh, infrastructure, their, their web-based or digital infrastructure um, in a colo. And it was about seven years old. And they had a, a choice to make. They could either uh, remain on the colo uh, or they could think about a different solution. And the challenge they were having is the colo, much like um, a lot of on-prem solutions, required that they make long-term commitments. Um, and a lot of the commitments they were making was to infrastructure that wasn't going to scale with their business over time. So they decided to cut from the colo, and they wanted to move to a pay-as-you-go business, so they chose AWS. So um, they needed to, uh, in doing this, um, they needed to figure out, well, if we're going to go to AWS, how do we re-architect our content management solution? And part of that was they needed an NFS solution to back it up. Uh, so EFS became a really simple choice for them because it worked with their application. They tested it. It simply worked, and it worked at scale. So once they made that decision, they then use Snowball uh, in order to quickly uh, evacuate the colo. So they use Snowball to move all the data up into AWS, which then made it immediately available uh, to EFS. And with that uh, solution, they were able to save about $10,000 uh, per month uh, using EFS over their colo. And combined between their use of EFS, S3, and Glacier, they found that the solution was 67% cheaper than what they were doing inside the colo. So they completely eliminated uh, their scaling challenges and any of the availability challenges they were having in the colo. And they ended up with a much better solution, much better product at a much lower price. So Celgene is a global uh, biomedical pharmaceutical company. And uh, their challenge was um, time to market, time to solution, time to cure is their business. The faster they can go, in their science uh, to produce cures uh, for people is, is really how they measure success. And they were struggling to accelerate uh, their HPC environment. Uh, it was built on-prem, was built out of proprietary uh, parallel file systems. And uh, their existing vendor that they had uh, was looking for millions of dollars in order to scale up uh, what they were looking to do. And it was going to take 12 months for that scale up to happen. So they decided that they were going to go off-prem and they were going to come to AWS. Um, when they looked at um, a scale-out HPC file system, they decided to engage EFS. And uh, they ended up saving 12 months of time in producing their solution by simply coming to EFS and they started using it right out of the box, so to speak. Um, and between EFS and, again, EC2 auto-scaling, uh, they were able to build um, uh, analytic clusters for themselves uh, that could take results that were taking weeks on-prem and bring that down to just a couple of hours. And they also have thousands of uh, medical devices 
uh, that collect data uh, through uh, the NFS protocol, but they're in remote locations. So they also decided to use Storage Gateway uh, to connect these devices through, via NFS, and they take all of their thousands of device information and they lift that up into S3, forming a data lake. And then they can use that data in the future to do further analysis as they continue to grow and grow their data lake. So by using Storage Gateway, they ended up avoiding tens of millions of dollars in backup licenses because they no longer needed to actually run backup software. The data just was written over NFS, uh, 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 the NFS protocol to the gateway and then to S3. They were able to save about $1.2 million in terms of what they needed to spend on an HPC file system in their first year. And more importantly, it allows this company to, to uh, accelerate their results. So they get to cures quicker, and they can focus on what they need to do, which is the science. Digital Relab is kind of a really interesting story as well. These guys started out um, by building uh, an artifact repository uh, for uh, our Nobel laureate, uh, Bob Dylan. So Bob Dylan has a tremendous amount of uh, material, and these guys were employed to take all that material and build uh, essentially a searchable repository out of it. Uh, and then once they built this, they realized, we might have a product here. Um, and it's actually called uh, uh, Starkiver. Uh, it's a cute little name. And the interesting thing about this company was they realized if they could take this product forward, uh, they could make a real business out of it. There's only 20 of them. Uh, and they realized right from the get-go that if, if the 20 of them were going to do uh, this product, bring this product to market for, for a lot of folks, uh, they could only do that if they didn't have to do any of the uh, uh, IT management, the undifferentiated heavy lifting. Uh, that they were doing just by the one, uh, uh, one example they had with Bob Dylan. So um, these guys started by just simply taking their application and porting it to AWS. Uh, when they did that, uh, they pretty much ported it as it was. They were using block storage with local file systems on top of it, and they're using uh, basically a relational database. And they quickly realized, uh, like many, that by not, uh, by using essentially, um, uh, uh, by not separating their compute and storage, uh, that they weren't able to scale quickly. They're spending a lot of time trying to manage that. So they decided uh, to take this one step further uh, and uh, replace their block storage uh, with an NFS file server, EFS. And by doing that, they were able to start to grow their business much more quickly without having to be in the IT management business, which is what they really needed to do. And by taking all of the energy they were putting into managing their IT infrastructure and instead pouring it into their business, uh, they were able to build cool new products uh, such as a face recognition product um, with recognition. So with that said, I think we're running out of time. Mm -hmm. um, so let me say one more thing, and I'll hand it off to uh, uh, Milan. Uh, all of these talks uh, can be seen in live or on the web, and uh, if you want to dive into any of these that are, more, that are of interest to you, uh, we welcome you to do that. So with that, I will hand it back to you. Hey, folks. So we have a lot of content here. All of this will be online for you. I just want to leave you with a few thoughts here. Uh, one of them is that we have new storage training available, okay? And so a lot of folks that we talk to talk about how hard it is to do cultural change. And cultural change in storage is really hard to do. It means all the storage administrators that you work with every day have to get on the cloud journey with you. And one of the best ways to do that is to share some of this training with them. We have a new type of training for storage management. It's online, so the people on your team can, and um, you maybe can make a group event and everyone take it together. Here at reInvent, we have a hands-on lab at the Venetian, and then we have a proctored introduction to EFS, and then we have storage experts. We also have, as you know, a lot of sessions. All the ones that are yellow have already happened and they're being encoded and uploaded up to YouTube now. The ones that are um, uh, left for the rest of the session, uh, sorry, for the rest of the uh, reInvent are in white text. So you see there's some there. We have workshops, which are hands-on workshops that you can do. And I really encourage you to go visit Birds of a Feather. We brought a bunch of our engineering team down here to reInvent. They're pretty excited. And they are at the Birds of a Feather where they're waiting for people to come talk to them. Questions, ideas, feature requests. Go visit the team for Analytics and Data Lake or Sun on AWS and get to meet some of the service team. Come say hi and bring any ideas that you have.
I'm just going to leave you with one thought, okay? I have this one slide here, and it just summarizes all the changes that we've done across storage in AWS in 2017. And I also added one extra thing that is also very helpful. This week, EC2 increased the amount that you can push for gigabits per second between EC2 and S3. It went from 5 to 25 gigabits per second, okay? So all the analytics that we just talked about, think of what that means when you have a pipe that big. It's pretty exciting. I'm going to leave you with a thought. I have three kids. I read a lot of Dr. Seuss. And I have a great one that I think is very applicable to where we are in the cloud journey today. Oh, the places you'll go. You guys remember this one? Oh, the places you go. You have brains in your head, you have feet in your shoes, and you can steer yourself into any direction you choose. That's what you get with AWS. And we hope that all of these options that we have talked about and the examples for customers will help you on that journey. Thank you, everyone.